Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. The ancient Stoic school devoted a lot of their resources and time to analysis of arguments, not just for its own sake, but in order to apply these practically to, to life and not to be taken in by bad argumentation. It's part of their important practice. They called this domain logic, and they made some very important contributions to it. Epictetus himself does talk about the value of logic, and I've done a few videos that you can see uh, talking about that. But he also talks about the need to work on practical matters as well. And one of the interesting arguments that's going to come up is, is a sort of headcracker from the ancient period that a lot of people exercised themselves on and took positions on. And it's called the master argument. Now, Epictetus himself is going to say two interesting things. I'm going to reserve one of them for the end. But before we get to that, in an earlier chapter, in chapter 18, 19 is where you're going to find the master argument articulated, he's going to talk about a situation, a real-life problem, that is, in fact, tougher, he says, than the master argument. So let me actually run you through that very quickly. This is one dealing with practical reasoning. Today, when I saw a handsome lad or a handsome woman, I did not say to myself, would that a man might sleep with her and her husband is a happy man for the man who uses the expression happy. The husband means happy is the adulterer. Also, I do not even picture myself the next scene, the woman herself in my presence, disrobing and lying down by my side. I put myself on the head and say, well done, Epictetus. You have solved a clever problem, one much more clever than the so-called master argument. So he's saying when we encounter our life's difficulties and we work our way through them and we get to the right solution, we're doing something that's as difficult, if not more difficult, than this master argument that we're going to see. And then he says, when the wench is not only willing but nods to me and sends for me, yes, and when she even lays hold on me and snuggles up to me, if I still hold aloof and conquer, this has become a solved problem greater than the liar and the quiescent. On this score, a man has a right to be proud indeed, but not about his proposing the master problem. So Epictetus is saying what we really ought to take pride in is not so much, you know, figuring out answers to these more abstract puzzles, but how we comport ourselves when we're in situations that call for some pretty serious and robust and consistent practical reasoning. Now, all that said, let's look at the argument as he does lay it out, because he doesn't say, oh, well, it's totally useless to, to look at it. He says, let's actually discuss it. He says, the master argument appears to have been propounded on the strength of some such principles as the following. So he's giving us his interpretation. There seems to be a contradiction, some sort of, as he calls it, a mahes, a battle between these three propositions. Now, when you look at these propositions, you see that they're of, of great generality. They're metaphysical propositions, we would say. They have to do with issues of what nowadays philosophers call modality, necessity, possibility, impossibility. And in fact, modal logicians have sometimes played around with this. Here's the three propositions that can't all fit together. So the different people who look at them have to make a decision. Which one am I going to reject? Everything true as a past event is necessary. 
It, it has to be the way it is, right? Because it's past. You can't change the past. That's one. An impossible does not follow from a possible. Something that can't be doesn't follow from something that, in fact, can be. That's what it means to be possible. A do not tone in, in Greek. And then the third one is, what is not true now and never will be is nevertheless possible. Now, that one also seems to be something we can get behind because it's saying, you know, that there could be some things that aren't true and never are going to be true, but they could have been the case, right? Or in some alternate imagined universe, maybe they are the case. And so if we think these through, we see that they don't all fit together. And like he says, different scholars have argued for two of these, picking two of these against the other. And he tells us a little bit about that. There's three different groups that do that. Diodorus, a great you know, ancient thinker, says, realizing this contradiction, use the plausibility of the two propositions, these first two propositions, to establish the principle, nothing is possible which is neither true now nor will ever be. So that's one way. You reject the third. You say, there aren't any possible things that aren't the case or that won't be the case. Another possibility is to say something is possible which is not true and will never be, and an impossible does not follow a possible, and then they don't grant that everything true as an event in the past is necessary. They, they deny that. Cleanthes and other people took that, that tack. And then a uh, third way is to say a thing is possible which is not true now and never will be, so accept the third proposition. And everything true as an event in the past is necessary, but then they say an impossible does follow a possible. And he says, you can't maintain all three of these propositions, but those are three different possibilities. You can take whichever one of them out and say, that one doesn't work, but then the other two will work. Which one should we accept? Well, Epictetus says a lot of great ancient thinkers have staked out positions on this, but if you ask him, this is the second thing I want to bring up. If somebody asks me, which pair of these do you yourself maintain? I shall answer him, I do not know. But I have received the following account. Diodorus used to maintain one pair, Pantheoides and his group, and Cleanthes, another one, and Chrysippus and his group, the third. And then somebody says, well, then what is your opinion? And he says, I don't know. And I wasn't made to figure this one out. That's not the purpose that I was given my mind for, because nothing in terms of practical rationality is actually going to turn on solving this. And as we, you know, we saw at the beginning, he says, matters of practical reasoning, when we actually see them through to their solution, are much more worthy of our time and attention than these, you know, what we philosophers would say, are intriguing metaphysical problems or paradoxes or conundrums. So this is a very important argument in the history of logic and in the history of philosophy. The Stoics themselves, the, the great Stoics, exercise themselves on it. But Epictetus is going to say, I understand how, it, how it's set up. I'm not going to take a position. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.